Okay, I have a question. So raise your hand if you are the type that loves all of it. And by all of it, I mean when we're talking Christmas, the lights, the presents, the food, the parties, like all of it. Raise your hand if you're one of those. My wife better have raised her hands over there, okay? Um, How many, raise your hand if you're kind of in the middle, okay? How many of you have as your middle name Ebenezer Scrooge? (laughs) A couple of you. (laughs) Well, I read an article uh, this week from a best-selling essayist named Joseph Batam from his 2015 uh, article called Joyous Surrender, a Rhapsody in Red and Green. This is published on the Public Discourse uh, website. Um, And and the whole point of uh, Batam's article is he has a friend who's more like the Ebenezer Scrooges. He, he thinks, for Christians anyway, all the stuff just get in the way of the true meaning of Christmas. And, and so uh, he, he understands where his friend's coming from, but for this writer, this is what he has to say. Give me the vulgarity of inflated reindeer bobbing out on the lawn. Give me trees drooping under the weight of their ornaments. Give me snow piled to the rafters. The dozen creches, that's like nativity scenes, that my wife scatters wildly around our home like breadcrumbs leading back through the woods. Give me houses so lit up that the neighbors dream at night of sunstroke. <laughs> Fruitcakes so dense they threaten to develop their own black hole event horizons. Gingerbread cottages and mouse king nutcrackers and wreaths on every door and silly Christmas cards and eggnog so nutmegged that the school children carolers cough and sputter as they try manfully to gulp it down. Tastefulness is just small-mindedness pretending to be art. And Christmas isn't tasteful, isn't simple, isn't clean, isn't elegant. Give me the tacky and the exuberant and the wild to represent the impossibly boisterous fact that God has intruded in this world. Amen, right? (laughs) Even for some of us with closet Ebenezer Scrooge tendencies, I read something like that and yeah, that last line, the impossibly boisterous fact that God has intruded in this world. So whether or not you like the vulgarity of inflated reindeer bobbing out on the lawn. What we just celebrated yesterday, what we thought about as a church gathered on the days, the Sundays leading up to yesterday and maybe in your own homes and traditions, it is the impossibly boisterous fact that God has intruded in this world. Now let me use that in segue Back to our series, A Thrill of Hope. So I mentioned briefly last week, and I prayed it a moment ago, biblical hope is not mere optimism. No, biblical hope is rooted in waiting on God, the one who was faithful, who is faithful, who, and, and who will be faithful. And that is what the Bible means when we are called to hope. And so when, I think, the hymn writer of O Holy Night spoke of a thrill of hope, They were speaking of this God who's faithful, this one who can be waited on, this one who, because of the baby that's come, causes the soul to feel its worth. 
And so last week then, I asked the question, why is Christmas then a thrill of hope? And we looked at two things, if you were with us. We talked about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled by his birth. And we just ran through, I don't know, seven or eight from the Old Testament, hundreds of years prior that the Jesus and Mary and Joseph could not have orchestrated, and yet he fulfilled, and the staggering probability uh, that, that it happened, and so forth. And so there's the thrill of hope at Christmas because Jesus fulfilled those prophecies by his birth. And then the second thing I spoke of last week was the grace, the grace of God come to earth. That's what this essayist spoke of, right? The boisterous fact that God has intruded into this world. It's the grace that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Speaking of God in the flesh, incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. The second person of the triune God leaving the glories of heaven and the perfect uh, fellowship he had and coming, being God in the flesh, being the God-man, fully God, fully man, but being born and and thus becoming poor, so that, Paul goes on, the apostle, Paul goes on to say that you, me, us, by his poverty, by what he did, might become rich. That is, by his perfect life and, of course, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, that, that great exchange that happens when God calls us to himself and we believe on him and trust in him and we... We, by faith, um, are his sons and daughters. We become rich. We have, we have him. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We've got this right relationship now with God that comes through having our sins forgiven. All that we've been singing about already this morning. So that grace, the grace of God come to earth. So prophecies and grace were two reasons why Christmas is a thrill of hope. So now this morning, for just a few minutes, I'd like to add a third reason why Christmas is a thrill of hope. And here it is, simply. Christmas is a thrill of hope because the baby that has been born is the king. The baby that has been born is, in fact, the king. So if you have a Bible, please open to the gospel according to Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Anderson read for us from Matthew 24 in our call to worship. But now I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. And I've chosen this passage today um, really because it fits so well since Christmas was yesterday, right? It's over. (laughs) Some of you have already cleaned up your house. Like, like you're that tired. Like, you know, this morning you got up early and, and like, it looks ready for the New Year's. Um, Hopefully not too many of you, but, right, some of you, like, it, it was yesterday and, okay, now here we go. But there's things we ought to think about after Christmas, the day after Christmas, in fact. It's, it's so fitting. So, Matthew chapter 2. This text presents us some important things to consider. But again, all under this sort of umbrella that the reason Christmas is a thrill of hope is because the baby that has been born is, in fact, the king. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they quote Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This, This is the word of the Lord. What I want to do for the few minutes we have together is is just look kind of briefly in these 12 verses, and and what we're going to see are three reactions, if you will, to this baby that has been born. There's going to be the reaction of Herod, and his reaction is a troubled reaction. There's going to be the reaction of the religious leaders. Theirs is one of indifference. And then there's the reaction of the wise men or magi. And theirs, of course, is a reaction of worship. So three reactions to the baby king that has been born. And I think some truths that are, again, important for us to ponder the day after Christmas, after he has been born, as we, as we I hope, feel the weight, in a good sense, of the thrill of hope that is this baby that has been born is, in fact, the king. So... Matthew 2, 1 to 3. Let me just read and comment uh, through these first few verses of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, probably it's a couple of years, okay? So this is one of those things, even I was thinking about it as we worked on our songs this week and and sang them today. A lot of our Christmas carols and those nativity scenes and creche scenes, they they mix it all up for us, okay? Uh, The wise men or magi, uh, they weren't there when Jesus was born. Um, No, it was sometime later, probably even could be up to two years later because of some other things that follow in Matthew 2. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, and if you're looking there in, in your Bibles, um, we have uh, the, the phrase king used four times, uh, right? Uh, once in verse 1, once in verse 2, again in verse 3, and then in verse 9. 
Matthew wants us to, to hear this, right? This is all happening in the days of Herod, the king. And yet they come and they say, where has the one been born king? And then when Herod, the king, like it's, it's this back and forth. We're supposed to, to, to be aware that there's a couple of kings being spoken of and uh, characters in this story. And then again in verse 9, um, listening to Herod the king, right? They, they go as, as he sends them out. We have Herod the king versus he who has been born king. Now, just a word about Herod the king. He's also known by the names Herod the first or Herod the great. Um, he was not born king of the Jews. Uh, he, he is not Jewish. No, he's Idumean, and uh, he was appointed to be king of the Jews by Rome, by the authority of Rome. Um, he was a ruthless, uh, paranoid ruler, um, and, and he did a lot of, of evil as king of the Jews. But he was a good servant of Rome often enough, and so Rome liked him being in charge there uh, of, we could say, the Roman Empire in that day there in the land of Israel in the region of uh, Israel or in Jerusalem and uh, Judea and all of that. He reigned from um, about 37 to 4 BC, okay? So this is Herod the Great, Herod the First, and here Matthew calls him Herod the King. So in his days, this king of the Jews, so to speak, it tells us that wise men, that's what ESV says, but there's a footnote uh, telling you that in Greek, the word is magi. Well, it's a word where, uh, in English, uh, magic, we, we get our word just from that Greek word. Um, the, these were, in a sense, magicians. Now, not David Copperfield-type magicians, not uh, kind of magicians who can learn card tricks, you know, and then do them for you, or, or things like that. Um, no, uh, again, kind of an ancient magic, if you will. Um, they were from probably the area of Babylon, from, from the east, Okay, uh, and so these uh, priests, these experts in mysteries of Persia, Babylon, but also if you think about the people of Israel who were in captivity for a lot of years in that area, uh, these uh, magi, they would have um, been uh, schooled in um, not only uh, their own astrology and dream interpretations. In fact, um, we have in Daniel uh, the mention of, of the king Nebuchadnezzar calling for the wise People of his own area could be the same type of thing. So they would be uh, these experts in all these different things, but also um, they would study what other groups believed. And if the Jews lived there, as they did, and the Jews had their sacred writings, they would have known certain things very likely uh, about uh, this coming anointed one, this coming Messiah who would come. So there would be some familiarity. Uh, in fact, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 says that, uh, this is Balaam's prophecy, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So they may have been familiar with that. And then when God did this miracle, this, this star, I, I think there's no need to try to you know, scientifically figure out what it was. If God can create the world, if God can raise the dead, if God can cause a baby to be born of a virgin, he can put some kind of 
thing in the sky, be it an angel that looked like a star or a star and move it, but these wise men, these magi that are schooled in things, including the stars, they see some other star, and they maybe are familiar with Numbers 24, and God leads them. God in his sovereignty is at work drawing them to go, and what happens? They, they arrive in Jerusalem in the days of Herod the king, and they say in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And uh, the text continues for us. Well, they say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. That's what you do to a king. Interesting. Matthew doesn't tell us if they worshipped Herod at all <laughs> or, or not. Uh, they probably did what they needed to do, appropriately so. But it does say in verse 3 that when Herod, the king, the appointed king, not the one born a king, but appointed king, heard this question, heard this, this question slash statement about a king born of the Jews, it says he was troubled. Well, I love my ESV, but troubled just makes it sound like, you know, maybe his neck ached a little bit, you know, uh, or, or his stomach ached. He was troubled that day. No, really, he, he was deeply disturbed. It's a word that means he was in turmoil. He was terrified. In other words, he's the king. He's appointed king. If there's a king born, maybe this king that's been born is going to oust him. So he, he was troubled, terrified, disturbed, deeply disturbed. We, we could say that he felt threatened. In fact, it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Uh, you know, did everyone know about this? No, it's kind of like how we might say, you know, President Biden said such and such and all of Washington, right? We just can kind of lump, you know, a whole region and we know what we're talking about, the, the officials, those in charge. So as Herod the king and his entourage learn of this king born, he's troubled, he's terrified, and, and anyone else that's aware of the brutality of Herod, and, and, and again, you know, I'm trying to be sensitive to younger, younger ears in the room, but, but Herod was brutal. He, he, if he didn't like you, he would just get rid of you and, and take care of you if you were a problem to him. He was a ruthless, ruthless person, so you could see why all of Jerusalem would be terrified if Herod's terrified now at this. But here's the, here's the, the thing I want us to consider. And, right, he, again, I'll just sort of summarize. He, he asks them this question. He, he has his experts come in a minute and give him some more feedback. And then he develops this plan. Secretly, he, he calls those magi back and says, yeah, yeah, go, go, do your thing. And then come back and tell me because I want to do the same. And, of course, he had no intention. And, and being threatened, he, he did whatever he could to eliminate the threat. And here's the, the, the thing we, we need to consider. Um, we we want to jump. I, I mean, I do. I, I want to be just like the Magi. I mean, I want to worship Christ. And I, I hope I do. <laughs> but it's good sometimes to not always see ourselves as the heroes in the, in the text, but identify with, you know, the, the villains even. And, and here's the truth. If that baby that we celebrated yesterday is the king, and not just of the Jews, part of what we don't have time to flesh out, but... But Matthew goes to great lengths to show that the one born king of the Jews is, is the king for the nations. He's the king for everybody. So he's our king. He's the king for the world. So if that baby 
And, and if we kind of get past the sentimentality, and it, again, no disrespect to the, the baby born and the adoring of, of that, but if he's the one that would grow up to be the king, and he is the king who lived and died and ascended, and if you've been with us, we've been in Hebrews talking a lot about how he's the high priest, the true and better and greater high priest. The writer, and we'll see this more in, in the weeks to come when we get back to Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews wants us to know he's the king. He, he's this one that's the high priest, the great high priest. He's the king. Like, if that's true, sometimes we are threatened. Sometimes we, we, we like to be the king of our own life. Because, in fact, um, to be a king means that, that you are the one in charge. You, you are the one in charge of things. You, you have sovereignty if you're the king. Well, if there's a king, and we don't, right, as Americans, we, you know, elected officials and we're, we're governed by representation, yeah, you know, whatever, <laughs> right? We, we don't fully understand what it means to have a monarch, a true monarch. But as Christians, we do. And, and this is what's so good about the Bible. God is our Father, and Jesus is Savior, Holy Spirit is Comforter. But, but the Scriptures have a lot to say about each person of the Godhead. And the Son, He's, he's Savior, he's, he's the Forgiver, He's the Baby born, but He's the King. He's the King. And He, and he calls for our allegiance. He, he calls for the right to be sovereign in our life. And, and we may not be like Herod, I hope we're not, but, but there's times, um, even as Christians, when God's word says something about how we should do something or not do something or what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to love one another, what it looks like to forgive people that have wronged us, whatever. And we, we go, I'm going to be king for a bit. I'm going to just kind of, no, I, I'm in charge of my life. In Matthew 2, in, in this part of the day after Christmas story, causes us to, to go, okay, but if he's the king, no, that's not the right response. Herod's was not the right response. Uh, 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 threatened, uh, terrified, trying to remain the king response isn't, isn't what God wants. So that's Herod's response. One of, of being troubled, terrified, and, and one who in that troubled, terrified state puts himself in charge. And if you do that, um, the good news is we, we get to repent, we get to say, God, forgive me, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But let me just also throw this out too. There might be some of you in our gathering this morning, maybe online, that you, you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as king. And again, this is back to the nuance of like, he doesn't just forgive us sins and give us a ticket to heaven. I've talked about this in our series on Hebrews. It, to be a Christian is not just to have my ticket and I'm good to go one day. I hope I make it to 70, 80, 90, but if something happens before, I got my ticket. To, to be a Christian, yes, is to be ready for that day, but, but it also is to love God, love people. And one of the ways we love God and love others, as Jesus said, is we, we are submitted to him as the king. We, we take him for all the ways he reveals himself in his word to us. So if you've yet to say, I, I, I'm the king of my life and I try to do my own thing and, and it's not getting me 
really where I, I want to be. God, come in, forgive me, be my king. I'd love to talk to you about, about that because all it takes is, again, repenting. That is turning to him and asking him to come and be your king and we'd love to talk to you about that. But there's another reaction, and that's the religious leaders of the day. So as I mentioned, Herod, this one appointed king of the Jews, it says in verse 4, he assembled the chief priests and the scribes. Again, two nuances of the religious community, the religious leaders. And he knows they ought to know something. And what's interesting, if Herod really was king of the Jews, you'd think he would know some more about uh, his people that he's supposed to be ruling, and he might know some of the sacred writings, but he doesn't. But they do. They know their Bibles. And so they quote to him in verse 5, Math, or Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And they say, oh yeah, Herod, yes, that's right. It says that Bethlehem, that's where, um, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. But it's so interesting. These religious leaders, they, they, don't, they don't say to Herod, we, we need to go. He's here. We, you know, they don't go say to the Magi, can we go with you? I mean, at least we don't have that recorded for us. We get the impression that they're indifferent. I mean, they really have a, eh, attitude. It says this. This is where it's found. Yes, the, this question they're asking, well, here's the answer to their question and what you want, Herod. But, yeah, whatever. And, and again, that causes us, it should cause us right away to say, do we sometimes act indifferent to God and his word? Yeah, you know. Scriptures say this, or scriptures say that. I'll get around to it, maybe next year, maybe next week, whatever it may be. I think, again, as we consider the, these reactions, this one is important for us also to say, sometimes we can be indifferent. We, we may, it may not be that we're trying to be the king of our life, but, but we just get indifferent, and we'd rather, you know, not care, not worry that's not what God wants either. And again, if that's where we find our hearts, we can re- repent. But there's a third reaction, and that's this reaction of, of the magi or, or the wise men. And we don't know if there were three of them. There were very likely a lot more than three. In fact, they may even have looked like kings as part of the picture in this story. Uh, they bring these expensive gifts, um, and they would have had an entourage, and it would have looked like there was some important person or persons arriving in Jerusalem uh, to ask the question and then go to Bethlehem. So these kings, if you will, maybe three kings, maybe more. Um, Again, the number three comes to us in tradition because of three gifts. It says that they continued, verse 10, to follow that star, and uh, they went to where this house was, where the star rested over, and it says, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they worshiped, and that's what they said they had come to do, to to worship. We could define worship as simply to express by attitude and possibly by our body's position our allegiance to and regard for a deity. What's interesting, the text doesn't tell us if they understood this baby king to be deity, but, but they knew enough 
from whatever prophecies they had heard as God's drawing them, but they needed to come and worship, not just give gifts and pay homage and tribute, but to worship. And, and so they do, and so they rejoice exceedingly with great joy, and they offer these gifts. What is that for us? What's the reaction prompt in us? Well, it's not that we give gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus now. The, the, the picture is that we, we, we worship. We, too, express by our attitude and possibly our body's position, which can include giving things, of course, but it's ultimately that, that next part, that allegiance to and that regard for deity. So if we are going to worship like these magi, we are going to recognize him as king. Not just king of the Jews, not just a, an earthly king, but the king of kings. The one spoken throughout the scriptures as king. Even, in, again, in our singing today, these, these lines come up all throughout that this baby is the king, the king. We, we worship. That is, we, we, we offer our life as imperfect as it is. And so to, to worship God with our life isn't to worship him perfectly. Oh, we will fall short. We will think things we ought not to think. We will say things we ought not to say. We will, we will do things we ought not to do. We will sin uh, deliberately. We, we will sometimes sin passively. But, but when we do, we repent. We, we come back to him. We, we say we're sorry. We take baby steps, but the, the trajectory is following. Is this our reaction? This, this is what these characters call us to. We're, we're, we're to be like these, these magi, these ones that really, there's no reason they should have. They were foreigners, outsiders, all the people that should have been worshiping. They're, they're terrified or indifferent, but these outsiders come, and they model now for God's sons and daughters what it looks like to adore the one who has been born. He's not just this little baby now, but, but he's, he's the king. Is that my posture? Is that my reaction to him? Is it yours? I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, great British pastor from the 1800s. He wrote this. If wise men of old came to Jesus and worshipped him, shouldn't we also come? They were guided by a star. We are guided by faith through the divine spirit, by the teaching of his word, and by all those blessed lights the Lord uses to conduct people to himself. It was well to come to the baby Jesus when led by the feeble beams of a star we will find it still more blessed to come to Christ now, who is now exalted in the highest heavens and who by his own light reveals his own perfect glory. Will you and I worship him, the baby who has been born as our king? And, and you know this, if, if you've done that, it, there's nothing like it. It truly is a thrill of hope to to experience the baby who has been born as our king. What is that king like? Well, again, the scriptures have a lot to say, and we will get to a lot of it in the book of Hebrews. But let me end with a picture 
that the great C.S. Lewis gave us of what this king is like. And if you're a kid in the room, and it's been a while, or if your parents have never read to you The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, you need to ask them to read this to you. Or if you're a parent, and it's been a while, or a grown-up, and you haven't read it in a while, you need to read it too. But this is what C.S. Lewis and his brilliance gave us as a picture. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. But not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the world has reached us, the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle that white queen, all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into a stone too, said Edmund. Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into a stone? If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. No, no. He'll put all to rights, as it says in an old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Oslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him, asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is is he a man, asked Lucy. Oslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Oslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Oslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What C.S. Lewis is trying to say to us is that this baby that has been born, this one who we have been worshiping, but now, just as these magi have come, he's the king, and he's not safe. If you are a Christian, it's not safe. Your life won't be easy. None of you in this room that have been walking with Jesus more than a week would say, yeah, life is easy. No, in fact, the longer we walk with him and the longer we follow him as our king, in fact, the harder it is. Life is hard. Life is filled with trials. But Jesus, the king, said, in this life, you will have trials, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, And he's king. He could at any minute come back and return. Like Anderson said this morning in our call to worship, He has come in his first coming. He's coming again. We're to live and look and expect it. And we wait for King Jesus to return. But he's good. He's a good king. And he loves us. And he wants us to be his subjects who follow 
but not under this, this tyrannical, paranoid rule like Herod the king, the appointed king of the Jews, but no, this one who, though he was rich, left it all for us and lavishes his sons and daughters with grace and forgiveness and mercy. He's so good, right? He's so good, right? And he's the king. So let's follow him that way. And again, the invitation says from me to you, if you have yet to follow him as king and you have questions, come talk to me. Come talk to me. We're going to sing one more song and then be dismissed uh, to some coffee and donuts. So would you stand and let's, let's pray. So Father, in Jesus' name, may we react to the one who has been born, the one we've been celebrating, the one who yesterday we especially and specifically celebrated in his birth. May we react to the king the way, in fact, these, these foreigners, these magi react. And that, that is to be one of worship, to, to be in allegiance to. May we follow you as our king. And you're good. You're not safe. You'll demand things of us, but you're loving, and your grace never ends. And I even pray, Lord, that, that today and this weekend as we get toward 2022, we as your sons and daughters would have a greater experience of following King Jesus. And may that include expressing what it looks like to those who don't know uh, to follow this king this one born king. We love you in Jesus' name.